Well, good evening, everyone. Well, it's good to be here again tonight. Amen? Yeah. Um, what I want to maybe do here as we get, get going um, is <clears throat> I want to remind us of something I mentioned last night that I feel like is just important to share again. And it's, <clears throat> it's the greatest commandment. Okay. So who can share with us what the greatest commandment is? Can someone just speak that out? And strength. And then what else? Yes. That is, of all the things that are most important in life, that one Jesus said is the greatest one. So what I wanted to do, what I want to do with that is I want us to begin to posture our heart in the right direction towards the Lord, right? So I want you, even now, begin to just ask the Lord, Jesus, is there anything in my heart that I've exalted above you? I, have, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I know I've done that in my life many times. And some temptation comes back again to, to do that, to take certain things, exalt them in my heart, and then to follow after them and put Jesus a little bit behind over here. We just spend a bit of time in prayer, just in quietening our hearts and say, and begin to ask Jesus, Jesus, have I exalted anything above you? God, have I put anything in my life above you? And I, I just want to now, Jesus, re start repenting. I want to turn my heart, I want to turn my heart posture towards you. I'm sorry that I've done that. That's not been right. That, that thing, I, I, I want you to take that out of my life, that idolatry, that, that pursuit of something more than you. And then, I, and then the second part of that commandment is to love our neighbor as ourself. So then I, again, I want you to ask yourself, how are my horizontal relationships tonight? Is there any brokenness in any relationship that I can play a part in restoring and being reconciled? I feel like this is really important tonight, is those two, our relationship this way, and then our relationship that way, as we look at receiving from God. And so even now, just in, the posture, in, a, in, a, in a hard posture, ask the Lord, is there any relationship going this way that I need to reconcile? I need to make right. I need to go in and say, you know, I messed up here. I, I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. I acted in the wrong way. So why don't we just take a, a minute here? I'm going to go back. I forgot my mic. I'm going to go back and get my mic. <laughs> but I want you to just bow your head, you know, um, ask the Lord those, those two things. What Jesus have I put in my heart, exalted it above you, and then is there any relationship that you want me to be reconciled in, that I can play? Now, some relationships we've tried, it's not possible, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about the things that we can do, okay? So let's just spend a little time in quiet prayer and reflection of the greatest commandment and begin to posture and align our heart in the right way to receive from the Lord. Because if those two are off tonight and that we're trying to receive from the Lord, <laughs> it's, it's not going to flow very well, right? Not going to be able to receive very well because the Holy Spirit is going to go back to that first before he's going to just pour himself into, into us in a fresh and new way. Okay? Let's do that. Just, just quiet in your heart. Quiet, bow your head. It's, you know, sometimes just closing our eyes helps us to meditate, takes the distractions away from us, looking at people, and it just helps us to focus on the Lord. So maybe do that here just for a few minutes.
streets. Yes, Jesus, we, we ask you to work in our hearts to exalt yourself in your rightful place that in our hearts you would take again the supreme place that all our affections and our thoughts would center around you our desires would begin to align tonight with your desires that our heart for the world and its conditioned state would begin to be aligned with what you think and what you see that god you'd break us free from any idolatry anything in our lives that we've pursued more than you jesus i want to apologize that that we've done that at times as your people we've pursued other things more than you and we're very very sorry forgive us and have mercy on us you are the most priceless treasure treasure there's nothing that's more priceless and precious and more beautiful than you and it's you that we want and it's you that we are seeking tonight so we invite you to send the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, minister to us tonight. Speak to us. Pray for also you to work, Holy Spirit, love in our hearts for each other. Love that displays to the world that we are your disciples. Love that is self-sacrificing and lays itself down for others. Love that is full of humility. Love that doesn't exalt itself and that doesn't boast. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Draw us to Jesus. So I invite you, come Holy Spirit, come even right now and minister and speak and bring life and bring freedom. Bring your presence, bring your comfort, bring your word, bring encouragement and build us up in Jesus' name. So in Joel chapter two, the Old Testament, <clears throat> Joel prophetically declared in verses 28 and 29, chapter two, that there would be a time coming in which God would supernaturally pour out his spirit upon his people. So in Joel chapter two, verse 28, it says that, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so what Joel was prophetically seeing was a time in which the Holy Spirit will be poured upon all flesh. And he mentions that it would be both on men and on women. It would be on um, old and young across generations. It would be um, on even servants and slaves, meaning it would not just be on servants, but also on the rich who are the rulers, on all people, every class, every sta status and place in life the spirit will be poured out and there's a time when God would do that, right? The, the spirit in some sense and measure was restricted to working through God's people under the old covenant uh, through the nation of Israel. But there 
was a time coming in which that would expand to all nations, including us here in this room tonight. And this um, outpouring of the Spirit would cause the people of God to become a prophetic people as a whole. And what would happen is God, God's people uh, would become a people through whom God would supernaturally speak his word. They would speak under the unction and the anointing of God. There's a time coming when that would happen. Now, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 43, foretold something similar that was, about, was going to happen in the future. And he says in Isaiah 43, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, in verse 18 and 19, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, God explained to his people that they should not look back to their former ways and things, but rather understand that he was doing something new among them. Now, staying stuck in the past at times can keep us from the new thing that God wants to be doing in our lives. Now, the context here of Isaiah 43 is that um, is the deliverance of God's people from exile in Babylon, right? And God would lead his people through this long desert journey from Babylon, um, and he would provide this living water that would quench their thirst on this journey. Now, this prophetic declaration had a greater fulfillment also um, in the future event of God giving living water in a spiritual sense, to his people. And we can understand this in the next chapter of Isaiah. So if you read in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, it says, it says here that um, there's a time coming when I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. And then this is likened to, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. And so this picture in the Old Testament prophets of this living water being given to God's people is a future picture of this life-giving water of the Spirit that will be administered to God's people under the new covenant. <clears throat> now, um, he, this is a beautiful promise of God giving his Spirit to those of his people who are thirsty and desiring more of him. Now, if you tonight find yourself in a desert place, spiritually, God is willing to give life-giving water and pour his Spirit upon you. That's his desire. Now, what's the ultimate purpose beyond quenching thirst of God pouring out his spirit? So God, in the beginning, he created us in his own image. And then he commissioned us to take dominion or to rule on the earth like um, he ruled in heaven. And the same way um, that he rules with love and justice and mercy and righteousness and miraculous power, he desired that we as humans rule on earth reflecting his image and his goodness to the rest of creation. And our ability as God's people to reflect his image would ultimately be achieved to the Messiah when he would come and bring us salvation and would, through that, pour out his spirit upon us to empower us to do the same works that Jesus did when he was among us, perfectly reflecting the image of God. That's what Jesus did when he was on earth. He was the perfect image, image bearer of the Father. Um, he said to one of his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, <clears throat> um, the Father's way is the way of Jesus. And Jesus promised to give to his disciples the helper to help us to do the same things or the same works that he did when he was among us. <clears throat> now, the greater the works that we do in all capacity, the greater, um, the greater our works that we do reflect the works of Jesus to a greater degree, we then reflect 
the image of God here on earth as image bearers of God. Now, in John chapter one, in verses 32 to 34, John prophesied that just as people um, were being baptized by him in water, so Jesus, the Messiah who was to come, will baptize people in the Holy Spirit. And this is in verse 32, I'm reading here, and it says, John bore witness, and he said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, it is, this, it is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now this is the first time the phrase baptism with the Holy Spirit is, um, or appears in Scripture. Now it's important to understand here tonight from this text that it is Jesus who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Now remember, it is not a person who baptizes any other person in the Holy Spirit. So I cannot, and no one else here in this congregation can baptize another in the Holy Spirit. Whose work is it to baptize in the Holy Spirit? It is Jesus. And so tonight, our eyes are supposed to be on who? And not on who? On on man, right? Because it is not man's job to baptize in the Holy Spirit. So what you have to recognize with this is that the pressure's off. (laughs) right? It's up, it's up to him. It's his work, and he's willing to baptize. He's willing to pour and immerse us with his spirit, right? Jesus wants to do that, and he would do it. It's the work that he would do, and so um, what I want to encourage you, even tonight, even right now, even in reflecting of this text, is to begin to turn your heart towards the Lord Jesus, to receive from him, to begin to listen, to hear, Jesus, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? And even if you need to, right now, even as we're preaching, if you need to get off on the sign, just kneel. Like that thing that Simon was saying with posture, just begin to posture your heart before the Lord. Let's, let's loosen a bit here, guys. <laughs> right? Like it's not just here, what is Jesus saying to me? What does he want me to do? Do I need to go over there and get on my knees and start repenting until something's clear and then I get back up and sit? Like, let's start listening, yielding to the Holy Spirit. What he wants to do in, in our hearts and lives. What is Jesus saying? And then responding to that. Okay? So let's, let's be free that way this evening. Even throughout the preaching, if you sense that God wants to do something in your heart, just start dealing with that. Start turning your heart towards the Lord Jesus. It is the Lord Jesus' job to do what? Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. It is not a person's job to do that. Now, admittedly, what happens when we see Scripture, we go through this, is often God chooses to do that through us as people. He chooses to do that through us praying for each other. And he does that for good reason. It keeps us humble among his, um, It keeps us hum- humble as we interact with each other, and we recognize that we need each other in the process of God working in our heart. Now, in John four, verses thirteen to fourteen, Jesus promised to the woman at the well that the life-giving water that He offers would permanently quench the thirst of God's people. No longer would we be searching for life in all kinds of other things but rather the Holy Spirit would impart something life-giving in the heart of the one who would drink from him. Now, Jesus said in verse 13 to this woman, everyone who thirsts of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Now, just like this spring wells up, uh, uh, like a natural spring wells up out of the ground, um, so is the life of the Spirit. It wells up in us and as a believer and it flows out from us and it gives life to those around, of it, around us. <clears throat> and when others encounter this, they receive from this a drink of it and they also receive life. 
Now, here in John chapter 4, it is important to understand that Jesus himself is not that life-giving water. Jesus said he would give the life-giving water, meaning he, it is not himself, he is giving it. Now, what is that life-giving water? Well, it's connected to the, the, those prophetical pictures in the Old Testament in which the prophet spoke and connected this life-giving water to the work of the Spirit and the work that the Spirit being given and poured out. <clears throat> now, Jesus clarifies this in the next chapter, next chapters in, in, of John, in John 7, in verses 37 to 39. And it was that last day of the feast, so reading in John Chapter 7, verse 37, on that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, <clears throat> the nature of the Spirit-baptized life spirit-empowered life, is that life flows from us. The outpouring of the Spirit from above is worked from within and then from without, then out. Now, it would happen, Jesus said here, that what he was referencing here, happened after his glorification. Now, what is the glorification of Jesus? When did that happen? After he went up into heaven, after his ascension. That was his glorification, right? Then he would pour out this life-giving water upon us. Now, <clears throat> this invitation that Jesus offers is very broad because it, it says, Jesus said, everyone. Again, it's that cry that we hear from Joel, everyone. Uh, and so it doesn't matter uh, your, your race or your class or your nation, nationality or your particular affiliation with some political party or religious group. <laughs> you know, um, this does not limit the spirits outpouring in your life. Now, the invitation also is somewhat narrow in the sense that it says, and what Jesus said, is if anyone thirsts. Now, one must see their need for the Spirit-empowered life. Thirst, thirst um, points to a lack of something, right? A type of emptiness, right? So, <clears throat> Jesus declared that anyone who is thirsty can receive from him the Spirit. Now in John 4, sorry, in John 14, verses 12, verse 12, Jesus declared and said, Truly I say unto you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my Father. And so Jesus connected this greater works that was going to happen through his church again to the time after his ascension up to the Father. <clears throat> now these greater works um, um, would be accomplished no longer because of his visible presence among his disciples, but it would be accomplished through the spirit that would be placed within them. Now, Jesus did not mean greater in the sense of more sensational works, um, but he meant greater in magnitude. Now, Jesus would, through his death and ascension up into heaven, leave behind this victorious working family of disciples who would spread his kingdom in the power of the Spirit, and they would do many and more works than Jesus did during his lifetime, and they would do it in more and different places than Jesus did when he was here on earth ministering. And so <clears throat> that is the, the context of the greater works that Jesus was referring to. <clears throat> now, Jesus' um, works include also his practical things, the things that he did. We do the same things, but also it includes the miraculous works that he did that we will move as spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus in the miraculous, the miraculous power of God. 
Now, it is for this reason, to do these works, that Jesus said that he would give us a helper. And so that's in John 14, verses 16 to 17. The Holy Spirit, who would indwell us, not just be with us or beside us, or come upon us and leave like in the old covenant, but would be within us, indwell us, to whom the miraculous workings of the Spirit will be possible. So that's what it would empower. This miraculous life um, it, it, it would be the Spirit's indwelling in us and working through us. Now, he, who is it here um, tonight that can heal in and of, of themselves a sick person? Any takers? <laughs> Miraculously, I'm thinking like instantaneously. None of us can do it. Right? But Jesus can and he wants to. Right? So Jesus can do through us the very same works that he did by pouring upon us who? The helper. To help us to do the things that we cannot do in our own strength and own flesh. And so I'm not sure if you can identify with this, but I can. I think for many years I tried to serve and do all the, the works that Jesus told me to do in my own strength, but the fruit wasn't there because I was neglecting the helper and allowing him to flow through me in his fullness. I was restricting him to some measure and saying, I don't want this from you. And so there's a, a great a, just a, a working of the spirit that cannot happen through me. But God wants to give us this, the, the spirit as a helper to help us to do the works that he did when he was among us. Now in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22, Jesus, after his death and resurrection, came and appeared to his disciples in the upper room. So that's John 20, 19 to 22. And he, in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's in the present tense in the Greek, right? So he, he meant right now, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> this account in John 20 parallels, if you go back to Genesis, the creation account, when God breathed into uh, Adam and, and Adam became this living being. And so I believe that Jesus breathing his disciples, breathing on his disciples, um, the Holy Spirit, they received the Holy Spirit, were regenerated in newness of life. And um, I think the reason it is connected to regeneration is because a few verses down, eight days later, um, Jesus appears again to his disciples and uh, um, Thomas um, was not there the first time, but he's there the second time, and Jesus calls out to him and calls him to come and believe on him and come and, and to, to look at his, his hands and to look at his side. And Thomas's declaration is, my Lord and my God, is a confession of faith, a person of faith in Jesus. And it's, I believe here, where Thomas received eternal life through his faith. And similarly, the disciples earlier, when they saw Jesus, they were filled with great joy. And... Um, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus breathed on them, filled the disciples and they received life. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, when we declare Jesus as Lord, we receive the Holy Spirit. We, re we have the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to, to assure you tonight is you have, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you've repented of your sins, you have the Holy Spirit. And so what I don't want to say tonight is that you don't have the Holy Spirit <laughs> if you believe in the Lord Jesus that new life from the Spirit has entered you and regenerated you, you have the Holy Spirit, right? But there's something after John 20, and even after Thomas's confession of, of saying that you are my Lord and my God, that <clears throat> Jesus talked about. Um, and it was in Acts chapter 1, in verse 4 and in verse 5, it was Jesus' last day with his disciples, before his ascension, his glorification up in heaven, in heaven, he reminded them of the prophetic word that John gave back in, 
in, in the beginning of John's ministry that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he said in verse five, in Acts chapter one, he said that this baptism of the Holy Spirit would happen not many days from now. So the disciples had already been regenerated in John 20. They had understood that he was died for their sins. He had been raised from the dead. They had seen him. Their hearts were filled with joy. But Jesus said that there's a greater outpouring of the Spirit that he wanted to work in their lives and that this would happen not many days from now. And in verse eight, Jesus clarifies to them and says that this outpouring of the Spirit, this baptism or immersion in the Spirit would empower them to be witnesses. <clears throat> and they would become his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so the baptism of the Spirit is for the sake of empowering the church to, uh, to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the baptism of the Spirit, the seeking just the simple asking of that is not necessarily um, connected to the assurance of our salvation or the assurance that we are Christians or some other thing or to validate um, something in my heart. It, the, the, the baptism of the Spirit is connected to the outpouring of God's power in our lives to equip us for this, the work of ministry. Um, it's also, later we recognize some of the gifts that are poured out in the church that is for the building up of the body of Jesus. But as the body is built up, it becomes a witness to the community of who Jesus is. <clears throat> and so um, sometimes we can want the Spirit's power um, for different reasons. Right? And our motive should, should simply be for the glory of God, for that Jesus would be glorified through us, that we would be empowered um, to, to serve him and that people would come to him and no other motive, just him and his glory and his power flowing through us and not for our own namesake or not for our church's name <laughs> or not for our denomination, but for his glory right? and for his name to be lifted up. Now, the disciples, in the context of, of Acts chapter one, they asked about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, right? They said, when are you gonna do that, Jesus? When are you gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? They were wondering about this earthly power, right? And re Jesus redirects them and, 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 and tells them and promises them spiritual power, right? Not earthly power, but spiritual power to be his witnesses. <clears throat> yeah, and too many times in the church, we attempt to be Jesus' witnesses without his power to the spirit, right? We try to do that in, with earthly power and not to spiritual power, um, being witnesses for Jesus. And the result of this um, is quite evident in the barrenness and unfruitfulness that we have in the work of the gospel and in the church. Let's look, let's look at our fruit. And let's just be honest, is what I see in scripture, especially in the book of Acts, is that the life that we're experiencing in the body of Jesus. Now we can do that without condemning ourselves. <laughs> we can do that just with honesty. We can do that individually and then corporately, right? Why, why is there unfruitfulness? Why is there barrenness? Why are we not, um, why are there not people being brought into the kingdom? Why are we not seeing everything we see in the scriptures happening among us? And it's okay, it's, by the way, it's okay to say, yeah, that's just the way it is. It's actually when we start doing that and start humbling ourselves, instead of acting like everything's okay, when we start saying, no, actually, it's not okay, that God can begin to work. It's when we say, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. Our church is nice. We sing nice, um, we sing nice worship songs. We have good teaching. Everyone's comfortable every Sunday. If everything's just status quo, the way it's supposed that we think that it's, and we don't want to change anything, God can't move and do what he wants to do through us as his people in his church. But when we say, you know what? Yeah, we're not, 
you know, I, I read in the scriptures like 3,000 people saved in one day. Then it says daily were added to the church. I mean, have, have you, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, what about like 10 people saved in one day? I'm not talking like 10 a year or like, okay, let me ask, this is a church, like, how, how are you doing with that? And, and that's okay, it, you know, but it, 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 honesty in, in looking at the scriptures and saying, wh- where is the power that I see here in, in my life first, okay? Don't go outward, go in here first and then say, corporately, how can we walk and receive more from the Lord Jesus and walk in that for the sake of his glory, for the expansion of the kingdom, for the building up of the body of Jesus on earth, right? Now, Jesus... Um, said that this baptism of the Spirit would happen not many days from now in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And um, it was in Acts chapter 2 where those not many days were fulfilled. And so in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the Spirit in the Old Testament is often referred to as the breath of God or the wind of God. The, the, The... um, the wind symbolizes the presence of God through his spirit in that upper room. Now, the fire parallels um, the fire that fell on Mount Sinai that initiated the old covenant, right? And Moses went up to receive the, the old covenant. Fire fell from heaven. The whole, the whole mountain was filled with smoke. And so the, the fire of God poured upon the disciples is to initiate them, the church, into the fullness of the new covenant to the outpouring of the spirit and to cleanse them and to purify them. And often the Spirit's baptism in our life is accompanied by this purification also, and this fire, this cleansing of refining fire that purifies us uh, so that we can be more effective in our work for Jesus. And then it says they spoke in tongues, right? Now, some of them, they spoke in no one tongues. The scripture records that there were Jews um, and Jewish converts from about 15 different regions, seems that were present, that understood in their own language um, when these disi- what these disciples were saying. Now, many of them, when they heard the disciples speaking in these known languages, they were amazed because they were hearing them speaking about the mighty works of God. Now, others who were there began to mock what was going on. They said, these guys are all filled with new wine. And I don't know if you've been around people who are a little drank a little bit too much, but sometimes people drink a little bit too much, their tongue becomes a little bit too loose. Have you ever seen that? And then they say things or babble in ways that's not quite coherent. And I think that's the reference here to being this idea of being drunk. It's connected to this speech that is unintelligible. It's not being understood, right? Now, if you heard someone tonight stand up and start speaking full fluent Spanish and that person never learned Spanish, would you say, oh, that person's drunk? Who would say that? No, you go, that's incredible. That's miraculous. So what we get, what I think I take from this passage here is that some of those who were mocking, were probably not hearing known tongues. They were probably hearing unknown tongues. And they were presuming that these people were just speaking nonsense, right? And so when Paul later defines um, tongues, he defines it not as known languages, but generally speaking as unknown languages. And so <clears throat> the, the thing to understand about Acts 2 and what's going on here is that the disciples are not evangelizing, okay? Um, they were not doing that to the, this, the gift of tongues. They were in a prayer meeting, 
right? They were crying out to the Lord, to, to Jesus, to send the Holy Spirit. And <clears throat> um, people overheard them speaking in, in tongues um, as the, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they began to, 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 as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance to speak, right? So it was not something that was given by God for the disciples to evangelize or to preach the gospel. It was given as they were praying, as they were seeking God, as they were praying in their own language, God gave them this language to bless God. And what they were saying was the mighty works of God, right? They were not giving the gospel message to people. <clears throat> and so this happened when their hearts were turned to the Lord and seeking him on the day of Pentecost. Now, um, their prayers as disciples were, were, as they were seeking God, was not directed towards people, it was directed towards God. And <clears throat> so... We see that the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is that the miraculous manifestations of the Spirit begin to flow in the disciples' life. And this is what you begin to see in Acts as the apostles go everywhere praying for people is that the manifestations of the Spirit begin to flow to the laying on of hands after people come to faith in Jesus and are baptized. Now there's examples of Pentecost happening and occurring in places outside of Jerusalem, post-Pentecost, right? And so... Um, we read about this in Acts chapter 8 when Philip evangelizes in Samaria and uh, God is working through him in deliverance, in healings. And many who experienced this believed in the Lord Jesus that he was the Messiah and were baptized into Christ. Now, <clears throat> um, if you look at Acts chapter 8 and verses 14 to 15, the disciples uh, or the apostles from Jerusalem came and they prayed, they came to pray for these new believers who had already believed in Jesus, who had already been baptized, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit. And so, I guess one question we need to ask, ask tonight, to ourselves maybe, is why did the apostles need to come down from Jerusalem to lay hands on people after they had believed in Jesus and were baptized to receive more from the Holy Spirit? If, every, if we receive everything, from the Holy Spirit at the moment we believe in Jesus, why was that necessary? Why would the apostles do such a, why did they even travel a few days journey to do that, right? And so <clears throat> um, Luke records that the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. Now, how did Luke know this? How did Luke not know that the Holy Spirit accidentally slipped, slipped whew, into one of the, these new converts in some full measure? <laughs> How, how does he write under inspiration of the Spirit that, that he had not yet fallen on any, any of them, right? <clears throat> if we receive everything from the Spirit at the time of believing in Jesus, why did the apostles have to come and lay hands on these new believers, right? So that's the question we'll ask tonight. Now, how was the Spirit poured out upon these, um, upon these new believers? They came and they lay hands on them and they prayed for them and the Spirit fell. Now, <clears throat> it says um, in verse 18 that Simon saw something. When he saw that the Holy Spirit was given to the laying on of hands, right, um, he wanted that same power to lay hands on people. And um, so he could do that for whatever purposes he had. But the point here is that Simon saw something happening. And so there wasn't just nothing that happened. There was a manifestation of the Spirit that came with the outpouring of the gifts of the, uh, of the Spirit himself. And so we begin to see that pattern in Scripture that many times when the Holy Spirit is poured out, 
not necessarily all the time, but there's this, the manifestations of the spirit that flow from believers' lives. And this is the case in Acts 8. Even though it's not explicit what particular manifestations are flowing from the lives of these new believers, there are manifestations that are flowing that can be seen, physical things that can be seen, not an unseen uh, uh, thing. And so in, we go on to Acts chapter 10, and Peter has a vision here three times. And this vision, after he has this vision three times, Three men show up at his door, right? And so God shows him beforehand through these three visions that these three men that are at his door are not unclean. They're Gentiles, right? But they're clean. Um, <clears throat> and he can go with them. And so he gets invited to this Italian's house to share the gospel. And so in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, as Peter's preaching the word in the, in the household of Cornelius, um, the Holy Spirit falls on everyone there who is hearing God's word and <clears throat> As they are hearing God's word, they start to speak in tongues. This is as there's preaching going on. So imagine here tonight, as I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit begins to fall and people just start speaking in tongues. That's what happened in Acts chapter 10, right? And God sometimes works in unusual ways. Now, this is probably connected to the fact that God wanted these Jewish believers to help them to understand that these Gentiles had come into the kingdom, had, had, had come to faith in Jesus through their faith. And, and now God had verified that by pouring his spirit on them and giving them the same manifestation of the spirit that he had given to the Jewish believers in Pentecost. And so Peter's response is, what can we do but baptize them? We can't withhold water. So they took them and baptized these new believers into Christ. And so this is generally the order. Um, this, is, um, um, this is an exception, but generally the, the, the pattern we see in scripture is that um, is that which Peter proclaimed at Pentecost to these 3,000 that came to faith in Jesus. Repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in that progression, right? And so the, the apostles ministered that gospel in this way wherever they went, and that's what they expected. And in fact, the early church fathers, post the apostles, um, had the same perspective. Um, and and I'll read an example here from a quote from Tertullian, and he's, he says this. It's, this is an old way of saying things, some of the way he expresses things, but it says, um, it, it's interesting in that way, but it says here, Tertullian writes and says, Therefore, blessed ones, whom the grace of God awaits when you ascend from the most sacred bath, which is baptism, the baptism of your new birth, right? And spread your hands for the first time in the house of your mother, together with your brethren, ask from the Father, ask from the Lord, that his own specialties of grace and distribution of gifts may be supplied to you. Ask, saith he, and you shall receive. Well, as you have asked, you have received. You have knocked, and it has been opened unto you. So Tertullian says, look, after you've been baptized, you become new in Christ to baptism, have the believers around you pray for your hands in you, and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be imparted to your life, right? And so um, Cyprian, Cyril, Athanasius, um, all had the same view. If you read early church um, uh, quotations on this particular subject. A region had a very similar view. It was a little bit different in the sense that region thought uh, that not everyone immediately received the fullness of the Spirit after conversion because there needed to be maybe sometimes more perfecting before the Spirit in its fullness could work through believers. Okay, that was more region's view. But, um, but there was this sense in the early church writings that you get that there's this expectation that when someone comes to faith in Jesus, they should be baptized right away and then to the laying on of hands after baptism, the Holy Spirit in his fullness is poured into a person's life. And that's simply because it's to baptism was more than something that was just symbolic. It, it represented the dying to the old life and being raised up in newness of life with Christ. And so now this new person in Christ is cleansed from his old life and his sins have been washed away and everything is um, 
that he has confessed in his faith in Jesus has now become reality. And now through the laying on of hands, that person or that person is prepared through his repentance and baptism to receive everything from the Holy Spirit that he can. And so through the laying on of hands, that was administered. But it was administered by faith, like Tertullian said, um, that expect, ask, and you will receive. And if you've knocked, the door will be opened unto you. And so it's by faith. So the Holy Spirit is supplied to us uh, the baptism of the Spirit is administrated by faith. We lay hands and pray, and we believe by faith that the Holy Spirit has filled us as we have prayed and asked. And so, <clears throat> in, <clears throat> in Acts 19, <clears throat> this is um, the account of uh, Paul, where he um, ministers the gospel in Ephesus, and he does it the same way that the disciples um, or the apostles from Jerusalem do. Um, and <clears throat> we see that Paul encounters these uh, disciples of John who uh, had believed in Jesus being the Messiah through John's preaching, right? So these um, were not f full believers in the technical sense, right? They had been down at the Jordan River. They'd heard um, John preaching that the Messiah was to come. They believed John, John's preaching about Jesus being the Messiah. Then before all that, you know, ended up taking place with Jesus' life and you know, the fulfillment of, uh, of all the prophecies of him dying and being raised from the dead. They missed that whole part of the story. And so they, they went to Ephesus and they were isolated from the rest of what happened. And so um, Paul finds these disciples who had not heard the rest of the story yet. They, uh, Paul asks them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, that is a really strange question to, to ask. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So in Paul's mind, there's a distinction from the time of someone, believe, someone believing and then receiving the Holy Spirit, right? There's a two in, in, this, in the sense of the fullness of the Spirit. Now, um, if you assume that automatically someone receives everything from the Holy Spirit the moment that they believe, then why would you, why would you ask such a question, right? If that was your assumption. So it means that um, um, Paul didn't assume that. Um, and so <clears throat> when they answered and said, in, Acts, in this is Acts 19, verses 1 to 6, they said, well, we've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul's like, well, wait a minute, who were you baptized into? And they said, John's baptism. And then what does Paul do? He takes them and baptizes them into Christ. And then when they come out of the water, he lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit falls on them. They begin to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Again, we see the Spirit's manifestations flowing from their lives after they're baptized and they have hands laid on them, right? And so this becomes a, a common thing that you see in Scripture in the book of Acts is the outpouring of the Spirit and the manifestations flowing from the life, lives of new believers after they have been baptized and hands laid on them, right? And so, and, and it's connected to Jesus' promise in Acts chapter 2 that you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, another example of this is actually um, from Paul's own story of his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Now, when does Paul believe in Jesus? Any thoughts? When was it? Was it in Damascus or was it on the Damascus road? The road or later? When, when does he have faith in Jesus personally? On the road, right? So he has, yeah, he has an encounter with Jesus on the road, on Damascus Road. He has personal faith. He comes to, to Damascus, right? And then um, what happens? Ananias comes and, and tells him that he's here to pray for him, to be healed. He prays for him. He's healed, right? And then he baptizes them, baptizes him and prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
right? And so we see the same pattern. And so Paul actually went, and that's why you see in Acts 19, Paul ministers the same way. The same way he came to faith in Jesus, he then ministers the gospel to others, right? And you see that continuity between the apostles, between Ananias, who's a disciple, and then Paul's life and ministry, the way he was impacted and he came to faith in Jesus and experienced the Spirit's working. <clears throat> now, when did um, Paul experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit in his life or the manifestations of the Spirit? Sometime post his baptism, after Ananias laid hands on him and, and prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't explicitly say in Acts 9 that it happened right there, but sometime afterwards. Later, Paul says, uh, I speak in tongues. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So that happened after that, right? He went around healing the sick everywhere he went. Paul prophesied over people. He, Paul functioned in the, in, in the, in the, in, in, in the man, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so we see that the, the, the biblical pattern of the outpouring of the fullness of the Holy Spirit uh, generally happens, not always, but often after baptism to the laying on of hands. Now, <clears throat> in, um, now, the writer of the book of Hebrews explains that the salvation message that was announced first by Jesus the Messiah and then preached by his disciples afterwards <clears throat> um, was accompanied with signs, wonders, and gifts of the Spirit um, everywhere this gospel was proclaimed. Right? And this gospel proclaimed with power, outpouring of gifts and miraculous uh, uh, works was called by the writer of Hebrews in, in Hebrews chapter 2, so great a salvation <laughs> that we should not neglect or that we should not um, um, despise, right? Um, and like, what are we going to do? What's, what's God going to do if, with us if we de- despise and neglect so great a salvation? And that's in context of the fullness of the gospel, right? <clears throat> now, um, this seems to be the apostolic pattern, right? Um, it is, so what we can assume from Hebrews chapter two in verses three and four, that in every place where the gospel was being declared and taught, signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit were experienced and distributed according to the Spirit's will. This was normal in the church, right? Um, and so one way we can actually see this from within the scripture is in Acts chapter 18. Now, if you read Acts chapter 18, you can skim it right now. Um, it says there that Paul ministered in Corinth for a year and a half, and there's no mention of gifts of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Right? Now, Paul leaves Corinth, and he writes a letter back to the Corinthians, and he mentions in the, his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1 that there was not a single gift that was lacking among them. And then later on, as we read through the book of Corinthians, we realize, oh, wait a minute, there's all these gifts that are functioning in Corinth that even Paul has to bring correction to their use, like tongues and prophecy and all these other gifts of the Spirit. And so what we can uh, safely assume is that Luke um, doesn't want to be redundant all the time when he's writing. And so he assumes, like the, the writer of Hebrews, that wherever the gospel was proclaimed, there was an outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit. Wherever that was proclaimed, and people came to faith in Jesus, that through the laying out of hands and the prayer of faith, the gifts of the Spirit were distributed to these believers to empower them to be witnesses and to build up the church. Yeah? Amen? So that's, that's what we see in Scripture. Now, I believe that this hasn't changed. Yeah, so there's some people, and you've probably heard teaching, no, this somehow stopped. Sometime maybe past the canonization of the scriptures or maybe after the apostles died or some vague period after that, all these things cease because now we have the word of God, right? Now, there's not a single place in God's word where it says that these gifts of the spirit will stop to be distributed by the spirit. There's not one place. There's one in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 and it says, when we see Jesus, what? 
face to face. Then we're not going to need uh, knowledge and we're not going to need prophecy in tongues, right? And amen to that. I agree with that. We're not going to need those things when we see Jesus face to face. But until we do, we need, we need prophecy. Yeah, we want to hear God's voice and give that to others. God's people have always, from the Old Testament and even the New Testament, have been a prophetic people who have had this relationship with God in which God speaks and we give what God speaks, right? Um, a relationship that's just one way is not a very healthy relationship, right? Just like this. <laughs> or like, or sorry, like this. It should be like this, right? And like that. It should be back and forth, right? Now, one thing we can expect today in the church is that wherever the fullness of the gospel is proclaimed and, and there's faith and expectancy for the Spirit to work, that the, gift, this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be poured out in the church. And that can happen in this church and it can happen tonight. And it will happen tonight. And it can happen tonight. <laughs> now, um, um, now, do you believe that that's what Jesus wants to do, that tonight he wants to baptize us in his Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Or are you unsure? Like, I'm not sure. Not, maybe not me, <laughs> right? I'm not sure he would do it to me. Or I'm not sure if uh, I'm worthy. God wants to pour his Holy Spirit upon us tonight. Now, <clears throat> Now, some of you might be um, here and you're, say, you're saying, well, I believe I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit already, right? I believe maybe that happened even when I got converted. That's okay. So what we can do is what Paul says in Romans chapter um, um, one, he's, uh, I believe it's Romans chapter one, he says, I long to be among you so that I can do what? Impart some spiritual gift to you, right? So if those of you here who have, maybe even the theological understanding that you have received everything from the Holy Spirit at the time of your conversion, that's okay. Maybe um, in the sense of the, the baptism of the Spirit, that term, that's okay. But Paul even acknowledged that he wanted to be among the Romans, the church in Rome, right? The Roman believers, and that he wanted to be there to impart spiritual gifts to them. And so that can happen here tonight too. And so what we're going to do tonight, we're going to have another time of, of, of um, prayer um, and uh, ministering in that way uh, to each other. Um, and so, but maybe you've, you're here and you've never had anyone ever lay hands on you for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit then what I'd like to do to encourage you tonight is just to come forward like we did last night and to receive prayer for the Holy Spirit to, to baptize you. And, what, and the way the baptism of the Holy Spirit is administered is simply by faith. So we pray, we lay hands on, uh, on each other, and we pray for the Holy Spirit to, to fill and to baptize. And by faith, we believe that he has baptized us when we pray. And then we learn to yield to the Holy Spirit and his, the way he wants to manifest himself or show himself. Manifestation just simply means to show himself forth from us, right? And then we yield to that. If that's tongues, if that's God giving us a word, if that's us, God putting in our hearts to pray for someone who's sick, we begin to walk in healing. We begin to learn then to hear and to move, hear and to do, faith, um, hearing and faith, right? And acting in faith. So that's the nature of relationship that's described in Galatians, this relationship of hearing God's voice and then doing, hearing and doing, not just works, but hearing and doing. And so um, wherever you're at tonight, if you feel like, Maybe you say, maybe you're here tonight, you say, I'm, at, well, I'm saying in your heart, I, I don't know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's okay too. Let's pray and ask the Lord to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And you can have a confidence and say, yes, I've received prayer. Hands have been laid on me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I will now expect the Holy Spirit to work through, through me in a fresh and new ways. And so let's not get caught up in wh wherever we're at. Let's just, even tonight, just say, hey, 
I want more from the Holy Spirit, whatever that means for me. And so let's open our hearts to receive more from the Holy Spirit. Amen.